Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favourite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm very lucky to have a good friend of mine, Mark Pollock. And Mark is the co-founder and the director of Aston Chase, which is a a high-end property business and um, very well respected throughout London and abroad. We met on holiday and um, Mark does a huge amount of work for various charities, incredibly generous man of his time and um, his contacts and his friends. Um, but I just want to talk about leadership. I think. So, Mark, welcome. Great Thank to have you. very much. Good to be here. And um, when we were sort of talking just in a, in a nutshell about, um, about your sort of your, your journey from, from childhood to, to later on, which we'll go into in more details in the audio session, but how, how did you begin and, and how, did, how did things start for you with, with going into, into the property business? A um, little bit by default, really. Yeah. Uh, I left school with three, um, what do we call them, O-levels? Then? Yeah, O-levels. Three, yeah. three O-levels, so I didn't exactly cover myself in glory. And uh, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I think my parents told me that uh, I was good with people. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, and I think something that gave me the opportunity based on performance to, to earn more money also seemed kind of appealing. Yeah. Anyway, I saw an advert in the Evening Standard Opportunities for Juniors, a company called Drewson Company, um, who were a well-respected uh, state agency business uh, um, who had a, their head office in Manchester Square, Marylebone. Yeah. I started there as a junior. Um, I remember working in the basement with... Uh, a two old age pensioners, one yeah. came in the morning, one came in the afternoon alongside the Xerox machine. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's how I started. That's amazing. And t- tell us just in a nutshell about Aston Chase and what it now does. Um, well, Aston Chase is an, uh, I think we would describe ourselves as a boutique residential estate agency mm. um, operating in central and northwest London. Uh, effectively, we're dealing predominantly the top end of the market. Uh, full service agency doing dealing with flat sales, house sales, new homes, rentals, and management. Yeah. Uh, and we've actually been established scarily nearly thirty five years. Um, this August, I uh, started at the age of twenty four, uh, and I think it would be reasonable to say we we've got a good reputation mm, within the so. industry, um, and probably recognised as one of the leading operators in the areas in which we, we cover. And leading is, is one of the things that actually is the whole series is about and leadership. And, and as we chatted when we met um, and since at the charity event you took me to, you know, leadership really means a lot to you and you've done a huge amount of developing your own people and bringing them on and looking at talent. You talked about aspirational leadership. There's no particular people that were, you know, you read up about in books and stuff like that, or someone you looked to, I want to be like them. But but you aspired to become a good leader. Tell us about that journey. And and, and, and particularly, you, you talked about school. 
Yes. And, and what, what gave you that aspiration to be better and to be the best at what you do? Um, I think as a, as a kind of kid, I experienced some uh, finance or my family experienced some financial difficulties and I saw the kind of ramifications of that. I had to leave the school that I was at um, and kind of conscious of, you know, it being a little bit of a struggle for my mum and dad. Um, and then subsequently, when I went to a school, which was actually um, educationally a very good school, a grammar school, that I was somehow um, got into it based on uh, religious grounds, yeah. albeit I wasn't particularly orthodox, um, I met people who were from affluent backgrounds, became friends with some of them, went to their homes and saw a world that I didn't really mm. knew existed. Um, and I think that kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities that were out there and proved to be an inspiration for mm. me going yeah. forward. Yeah. No, and, and it is, it, particularly, I mean, you are, whether you describe it or not, a successful entrepreneur. You know, you, you've created something, you've made something, it's got a, a great brand. Um, and many of the leaders that I know, I mean, I, I also, you know, we ran out of money. I, I was at a... Um, a, a private school, and had to. My mother had to take me out of there into into a grammar school. We we had so little money, um, and it was a bit of a shock at first, you know. Uh, and um, I was, you know, rather teased, and it was sort of. It took a while to get to get into it. So, but I think that's also been quite a driver for me to to better myself and to set set standards that are quite high. And and as you've been a leader and you've you've grown your business and things, we were talking before about learning from our mistakes. Uh, and often we make business decisions which don't turn out to be right. You had a great story. Do you want to just share that story about getting it wrong and what you learned from it and how you adjusted having got it wrong? Yeah, um, you're referring to the story regarding uh, the niche of the market that mm. we were focusing on. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, in the early days of Aston Chase, we were effectively very much a top end of the market house agent. Uh, so we were dealing with very high-value houses, uh, predominantly in St. John's Wood and Regent's Park and some of those surrounding mm. areas. And uh, they were high-value high properties, but relatively low-volume in, in terms of the number of transactions. Um, when the market became tougher during a, a, an economic downturn, we became really exposed. Mm. Um, and at that point, we realised, having survived that period, uh, we realized that we didn't want to be back in that position again in the future. Yeah. So effectively, we developed our business in such a way that we started rental activity, um, later a new homes activity. We separated our house sales into house and flat sales and management as well. So we became much more of a, a having a broader spectrum, several income streams. And if one area of the market was perhaps not performing as well as another, we, we weren't as yeah. exposed as we were in the first place. So I think, you know, it's always important to, to learn by your very mistakes. Much, very much. What was very much our strength, because at the time when we were focusing solely on high-end houses, you know, everyone was kind of almost aspirational to what Aston Chase were doing because they have big fees and, and, and very attractive yeah. um, area of the market to be operating in. But similarly, it proved to be our weakness. So yeah. Yeah. We, we, we learn from that. Um, Very important to tough, learn. Tough experience. Yeah. And, and so... I remember so, trading my 911 Porsche for an Astra. Uh, really? <laughs> that was a big check. <laughs> yeah. And I think um, humility is a key thing. When we've made a mistake, we have to, we have to admit it, retrench. 
And, and what would be, uh, as we um, just wrap up this this part of the uh, session, what would be the, the sort of leadership tip you'd want to pass on to other people who are aspirational entrepreneurs or starting out in their journey or trying to adapt to a market that's going down? Because a lot of people have got some quite tough markets to deal with. I mean, what would be your your top tip on leadership to pass on to them? Um can we pause here? Just yeah, well, no, actually, the one I think you you had that one was about the team. You shared your tip, which was about ah, yes. refreshing ah, your yeah. team. Ah, I thought yeah. that was a good one. <laughs> yes, thank you. Job my memory. Um, yeah, no, in, in point of fact, one of the things I think we were discussing earlier was that we have a very experienced, mature team, mm. many of whom have been with us for a long time. Um, and that's definitely a strength of the company uh, by virtue of their contacts, their experience and, the, and their, their ability mm. Uh, because ultimately any business is only as good as, as, as the team around you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but similarly, perhaps we fail to ref- shuffle the pack to refresh that team. Yeah. And I think it's really important to try to, using the football analogy mm. of Alex Ferguson and Manchester yeah. United, you know, when yeah. they had a kind of premiership winning side, they mm. still made transfers and brought in new people who helped to, I would say, keep other people on their toes um, and to keep it kind of energetic, vigorous and relevant. Very relevant, very relevant. Mark, thank you very much indeed. Great having you on the the series of Inspiring Leaders. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra where I'm with Mark Pollock. We had a really interesting discussion earlier. And we've gone on now to a bit about Mark. So Mark, welcome back. Thank you. Um, we're going to talk about uh, your, your, your childhood, really, because you had um, things that really have shaped you as the entrepreneur and the leader you are at Aston Chase uh, that happened in those early years. Do you want to just share a bit about, about that and how that made you aspirational? Sure. Probably didn't realise it at the time, but Mm, uh, these things, I guess, do have a kind of lasting impact. Uh, I was when I I was in a private uh, primary school, and my father uh, worked effectively for his father in the fashion industry. And unfortunately, the business failed. And unbeknown to my dad, him and his brother were guarantors to the business. Um, So it was very traumatic, Mm. uh, in as much as we as I recall, nearly lost our home. I think there was a lot of pressure and distress. Uh, and for a long time, that had a big impact mm. um, on family life. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, a few things I took from that. Obviously, the, I, th- I think it, one of my life ambitions at a later stage became to privately educate my children from a to Z to get them through it because yeah. I wasn't able to do that yeah. um, myself. Um, and similarly, actually, my father's resilience and the way he responded to, to the situation in which he found himself, he went to work for a kind of two or three different businesses over a period of time. At a time when the fashion industry was quite different to, to how it is today, and I, and I think that some of the kind of uh, people he was working for um, probably weren't um, wonderful <laughs> <laughs> employers. No, um, they'd be quite tough, wouldn't they? They'd be quite tough um, and autocratic mm. um, and uh, 
hashtag kind of me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, he, he, he ended up as the export director of a highly regarded uh, PLC um, company in a kind of leading coat manufacturer. Mm. And I know he opened up markets in the Middle East and Scandinavia. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that probably was an inspiration to me, seeing how hard yeah. he worked. Um, you know, having previously been in kind of fortuitous position and how, how, how he dealt with adversity. So that was one thing. Staying, staying with that for a moment, and resilience has been a discussion that we've had before in health and fitness, you know, there's two elements of the Inspiring Leadership Compass. Uh, you do a lot of fitness. I mean, you do some phenomenal cycling and things like that. wouldn't believe it looking at me. No, no, I would. I would. Um, but... You know, tell us a bit about that, and we'll go, then go back to the editor. But you know, you've got yourself into that. What, what are the kind of things you've done, fitness-wise, uh, to raise money? Well, I mean, I, I've run marathons uh, for charity, and, and I've cycled many over. I think twenty-two years now. For, really? For, for, for in aid of charities. But what's, what's been a big, a big uh, distance you've done, or a, a tough? cycling competition you've done, even up in the Alps, going up in there? Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've gone to and, and other, you know, notable um, Tour de France uh, kind of challenges yeah. uh, amongst them. But, you know, I would say that I'm, I'm a resilience, I, actually, I am a resilient cyclist. I, I'm very determined. Yeah. Um, I actually like climbing, which a lot of people don't necessarily do. Um, climbing on the bike as opposed to climbing mountains. Yes, yeah. climbing on the bikes. Yeah, it? yeah, um, and uh, not necessarily the fastest, but uh, probably a little bit heavy for a, for a genuine uh, high quality cyclist. But same, but same with the climbing thing. Um, as I know, in a, as an amateur way, or whether it be running up mountains in the Cypress Mountain Marathon, which I did. Um, You've got to keep going. Absolutely. Grind, and, and, grind it out. Yeah. And time and again, you'd want to give up. Don't you think there's an analogy and it, it, it goes across into your business? Because, you know, you've been in markets when it's been really tough and others have flagged and stopped and it's got good. off the bike and you haven't. Yeah. I must say it is a good analogy because, um, you know, you, you run as well. Ma marathons, you know, there, there are periods in a marathon when you know, it, it's really tough and you, you've just got to put your head down and, 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 and get through it. And similarly, going up a mountain on a bike, uh, there are times when you think, wow, this is, this is you know, I, I, I'd like to stop, but um, I'm What keeps I'm, you going? I'm what what do you out. think of? What, what do you think of? It's not giving up. It's just, really? it, it's kind of not in my character. And I think that, you know, once you've done that, um, you know, it, it, it's a slippery slope. Yeah. So... I've never really thought of it necessarily in that context, mm. but I'm sure it does help in real life. Because you didn't, your father didn't give up, did he? Because he could have, he could have declared bankrupt and yeah. you lost no, it all. But yeah, he, that. he kept going up the hill, didn't he? Absolutely, and I think you know, I, I, I mean, he struggled. He was always kind of retrospectively struggling to some extent because of the predicament in which you know he had found himself through kind of no fault of his own because at that stage he was kind of too young to really be in control of what was going on did it affect his health um or did he live to a good good age he lived to a reason yes he lived to a good age i wouldn't say it had a direct impact on his health fortunately because mm, he was quite, quite good genes yeah good genes <laughs> and so um Quite a quite a, 
a role model there for resilience and coping with adversity and setbacks. Because yeah. I think some of the best leaders and entrepreneurs I know, they've had some pretty tough times. Uh, many of them lost a parent or had a bad experience early in their life, which has quite shaped them. What else as you were growing up shaped you? Um, good question. I think that uh, very early in my business career, um, I, sorry, we, yeah, we're fine, yeah, fine, fine, yeah, sorry. Yeah, and very early in, in, in my business career, um, I was lucky, I, I say my business career, when I started work, you know, mm. I really enjoyed what I was doing. I mm. mean, you, you know, sometimes, you know, I really feel for young people today, you know, not knowing what to do and, and what career path to choose. Mm. And similarly, I really had no idea whatsoever. And, you know, I, I kind of got this job as a junior in, in this estate agency, Drewson Company. Initially, I was kind of delivering letters um, around central London and going to Austin Reed and collecting the senior partner's suit and yeah. buying his wife's birthday card, really? <laughs> amongst other duties. Yeah. Um, but as I progressed within, within that company, you know, I really loved what I was doing. And I think that... Uh, but just staying with that in those early days, you know, doing the more demeaning and basic jobs, it, it, it was your way in. But what about the younger generation today? You know, they, the millennials who, who are criticized and we've all got children similar age, the, the, you know, they, they rudely call them the snowflake generation or they don't have this staying power. Do you think they would benefit from, you know, starting off in some more rudimentary roles where it's tough for them? Um. Absolutely, but those times seem to have uh, passed us by. Yeah. Um, and and you know, as you say, their attention span and their expectations, um, you know, vary considerably to what we were accustomed to. Yeah. So yes, you know, sometimes when the going gets tough, and you know, someone comes in to see you and say, "Look, I think I'm going to travel because things aren't working out, and I'm going to go to Peru or South America for a year," you know. To me, it's alien, but you, you know that that that's yeah. that's an option for people today, and and maybe to some extent we've got to take responsibility for that as well. Because I think so. In our own success, and kind of wanting to give our kids maybe what we perceive to be a better opportunity, you know, we, we've also kind of spoilt them a little bit. Well, I think so, but also they perhaps, uh, and I've seen this uh, with some professional services firms, they say. Um, yeah, I've been here a year. It's a long time. I'm probably going to move on now. And they go, but, you know, what about full career? You know, don't you want to be a partner? They go, well, I'm looking at you and I'm going, no, not really. I mean, <laughs> what, why should I give the whole of my life to this firm? You expect me to be here for 30 years? Like, oh, no, come on. Because they want experiences. Because they perhaps, many of, of our children's generation can't, particularly in central London, they can't afford to get onto the ownership of property ladder unless they're very fortunate and helped out by parents. And so they go, I'm going to have experiences instead. I just want to have a good experience. Like I'd go to Peru mm. or what else they might do. Um, and, and I do think we, we're often out of tune because we think, well, you know, can't you just stick at this and learn like I did? No, I don't want to do what you did because it's not the way I want to be. So I think we just have to keep adjusting to them. Yeah. I mean, listen, in some respects, maybe they're right, you know, to mm. work for one company for your entire life or a couple of companies, maybe it is dull. And if you can experience lots of different industries and lots of different companies and cultures, mm. you know, there's something to be said for that as well. 
Yeah. Sure. And, and back to, you're quite right, back to you and, you know, learning your way up the business. Mm. How did you get to the point where you thought, hmm, I'm going to co-found a business with, with my partner? You know, what, what, what made you do that? I mean, that's a big step. Yeah, I don't, I'm not really entirely sure. And I think in fairness to my partner, to, to my partner, I think maybe he... And your partner's called? My partner's Richard Bernstone. Richard Bernstone. Um, yeah. Richard perhaps was um, instrumental in that to, to, to some extent as well. I, I think his role should be recognised. Um, but for my part, I, I kind of ended up in Drews and Company in their residential department. I was incredibly enthusiastic, very hardworking. I loved it. Um, I did very well very quickly. Um, I was working kind of all hours of the day and night, um, you know, kind of literally had to be kind of pulled out of the office. Uh, and then I was headhunted uh, by the owner of a boutique agency in St. John's Wood, who interestingly, his brother-in-law uh, um, was immigrating to Florida. Yep. Um, he wanted to buy this upscale boutique agency in St. John's Wood, I think partly because he was quite interested in kind of property and what all his friends were doing in the area. Um, uh, but he had no experience of uh, residential agency whatsoever. He owned a company at the time, which was quite a big door furniture company called Knobs and Knockers, went on to own a oh, company yeah, yeah. called Moulton Brown. So oh, you know, gosh, right. very successful wow. entrepreneurial businessman. Um, but he, I was headhunted to join that business in a, in a, you know, albeit as a very young person in quite a senior capacity. And, uh, that was really a stepping stone mm. to me doing. Richard and I had kind of met through a school friend of mine. He was living in Newcastle at the time, came down to London and worked in another residential agent, competitor agent in the area. We happened to uh, meet up again over the telephone by coincidence, um, decided to go out for a high-powered business lunch. Um, and the idea of Aston Chase was kind of, born um, mm. at that early stage. So yeah. we, we, we thought, you know, we, we were both really enjoying what we were doing and we thought one day let's do it ourselves. Yeah. And so you set up a business and, and over the years, and it's been 30 years? Uh, 35 years. 35 years. Yeah, this August. Yeah, congratulations. I mean, do, you know, businesses have a life cycle and many of them die well mm. before 35 years. If you look good to great and other things like that, firms you go, oh, these are great examples and, and they don't exist anymore. Um, but but they were generally good firms. But thirty five years, you, you, you know, building up a team, you, you've managed to keep people have stayed working for for the two of you for for many years. Why do you think they stay? Well, you know, why would anybody be led by you? What is it that they they say they appreciate about the culture of the firm you have and, and how you do it? Because how many are there that work um, with you? There's 23 people. Yeah, 23. 23. So, so, so We're what a sing, is, what is, single office, 23 people. Yeah, so what is it they like about the culture? Um, I think, well, sometimes we call ourselves a dysfunctional family, um, <laughs> albeit I'm told it's not good to be dysfunctional. But the, Show me a functional <laughs> one. I haven't met one yet. Uh, the, the reality is I, I think it's a, a very kind of open and transparent um, operation um, with the principles kind of leading from the front. I, we have a very, we have a good profile within our marketplace. We're highly respected. I think people are proud to work for Aston Chase. 
Um, and I think, you know, everyone kind of embodies the culture of the business. We really mm. care about what we do. We're passionate about what we do. Uh, we understand that we're in a service industry. Um, a lot of agents today, people, they have good operations, but a lot of the people working for them, I would say, a little more than clerks. Mm. Um, and, you know, we... we regard ourselves to be kind of traditional estate agents albeit employing modern marketing techniques yeah uh, so and that's just raised one thing for me as you talk about the estate agency property business and I, I would go to this this one here this moral integrity at the very top that the best in the business have a high level of being a trusted advisor to people who are buying properties for them but you know any too well that that bit like lawyers estate agents can get really bad press and yes. be seen as ruthless and lacking integrity how have you managed to keep a high level of trust because you're great at you have a really good what i say the emotional intelligence emotional social you, you read people you do a lot of study you're leaving a legacy but how do you manage to keep to be a trusted advisor to these clients who come back to you again and again who also become friends of yours but how do you manage to keep that level of trust and, and what have you seen in the industry when rivals or others have lost that trust? What have they done to lose that trust? Um, I, I think, you know, it is just as you, you know, using that word integrity, it is just conducting yourself, you know, with integrity. Uh, we always, um, any advice we give is always in the best interest of the client and not self-serving. Yeah. I think maybe in certain businesses and there might be sometimes be a temptation to try and guide someone uh, in a way to, to, to close a deal that because you know you want to close a deal um, that's never been um, the way in which we function at Aston Chase I think that we work in a really super competitive market mm. we're dealing with really success by, by definition of the, the value of the property we're dealing with uh, we're dealing with people who are extremely successful in whatever fields that they're in. And, you know, they're, they're smart people. And if they're, you know, if someone's bullshitting them or, or, mm. or, or trying to lead them astray, um, you're found out really quickly. Mm. And, I mean, we, we all know that, that, you know, it doesn't take long to, to lose a, a good, years to create a uh, good reputation and moments lost to overnight. lose it. Uh, and, and let's talk about um, some of these um, very successful men and women who are your clients. Not, I don't mean to name any of them because it's all, um, you know, just like for me, I have to be discreet about my own clients. But just the type of people who are at that level, it is very interesting that I've found over the years, 40 years, I suppose, in the military with sort of senior generals who I worked for, um, some just absolutely charming, one or two um, on the white collar psychopaths scale. <laughs> and, and the same in the, the leaders I've worked with, the CEOs who've worked for billionaires, um, a couple of billionaires have been completely ruthless, unpleasant, unsavory individuals. When you found people, high net worth individuals who are really nice people, what, how do you sort of differentiate and, and, and how do you know when you've got someone who is pretty deadly and will be just um, pretty ruthless to deal with? How, how do you differentiate? I mean, what, what, what have you seen and experienced um, I think on the spectrum? Well, I think we've experienced, you know, the full spectrum and, yeah. and many times over, over the years, obviously. Uh, I think, 
you know, people's characteristics become apparent quite quickly. Um, and some people are simply rude and unreasonable. Um, but, you know, they're sufficiently powerful and wealthy that, you know, they can get away with it. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, within reason, we're in a service industry, um, you have to act accordingly. Mm. Um, you know, of course, there comes a point where, where no one is going to, uh, you, you know, we wouldn't allow ourselves or our, our team to be abused. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, similarly, there are some people who, who need to be able to shout and remonstrate and, and uh, you know, conduct themselves in that way. But, but So how do you, because you've got good emotional intelligence, mm. how do you cope when people are being thoroughly unreasonable and actually very rude? Uh, how, how do you almost like stop them in their tracks or, or manage to, because you can't control them, they're uncontrollable. Yeah, so how do you manage I've, I've, it's those It's a fine line, but I do think that people like that are responsive to, you, you know, if you stand up to them. Yeah. Um, you know, if you allow them to walk all over you, actually, you know, it's just a slippery slope. It's just going um, But if, if, you, if you say, look, hold on a moment, you know, I think this is unreasonable and X, Y, Z, mm. um, invariably they will be responsive to that. But, you know, there's always going to be a few rogues um, in Definitely. every industry uh, who, who are, are very difficult and challenging to deal with. Yeah. But similarly, some of those people can also... Um, you know, be, your dealings with them can be very lucrative. So, you know, yeah. you'll take a view. Yeah. And also you have told me, you know, there's famous names that you've worked for, which we were mentioned on the program, but, but you've been very skillful uh, at your connections and your, and your network and the friends that you've got. Some of them are, are big names that we, we hear on television and things. And, and have you found some of these more famous people are actually also very nice on a personal level as well, yeah. Well, well absolutely. Generous, charming. Certainly people. my friends are. <laughs> <laughs> my friends are nice. Uh, no, I mean, look, lo lots of, there, there are lots of people out there who are kind of largely unaffected by their business success and, and you know, incredibly nice people and philanthropic and supportive in, in, in lots of ways and good friends. So, yes, I mean, hmm. there, there, there's no hard and fast rule. Not, 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 not all... Um, not all successful businessmen have to be um, unpleasant. Yeah, no. um, and, and I was just thinking about legacy, really, just uh, the, the final um, element of the compass, because, you know, we were talking about philanthropy. Yes. Um, and you've got an amazing ability to pull together a group of people who you then give to really worthwhile causes. Do you want to talk about some of the charities you've got involved in? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm currently a, a trustee and chair of fundraising of Norwood, which is a 200 plus year old charity that looks after uh, children and adults with disability, our patrons, Her Majesty the Queen. Um, and I've been involved with that charity for most of my adult life, really. Mm. But certainly uh, eight years as a, as a trustee and chair of fundraising and tasked with raising um, £12 million pounds annually wow. through voluntary wow. donations um, in a multiple multi, multitude of, of ways. Yeah. Um, and uh, one or two other charities that, that, mm. that I've been kind of actively involved with and supported mm. um, over a period of time. But I think it's really important for all of us um, to give back. Um, you know, if you've had a reasonable degree of success, it, it, it really is important to give back. Mm. And, you know, whenever people ask me about that 
aspect of my life. Um, you know, I always say the same thing, which is absolutely true. I've got far more out of it um, than I put into it. It's really rewarding. Um, you know, it, it, it keeps your feet on the floor mm. and, and it's a great way to kind of give off your time. Well, and this comes back, I think, to our, to our second uh, area of sort of meaning and purpose that well run, I find um, well-run businesses, the co-founders have a clear idea of what gives them meaning and purpose, you know, creating a very successful, respected business that looks after its clients. Um, and the result is that they make money in the process, but by doing really great work, they do that. Or that their life has meaning and purpose. You know, you've got a, a lovely family and, um, you know, it's lovely to see the way you were together as a family. You, you, you know, you are a, a very cohesive unit. And when we've got, you've got three children, have you? Three, yeah. And I've got four. They, they can be quite dysfunctional and, <laughs> and they'll have moments when they're off. But actually, um, I'm just interested in, in how the values you have that you put into your business with your, uh, with your co-founder, Richard, uh, and also the values that you put to your children. I, I saw having met you in business and met you at a charity event and met you socially, that there's this what I call alignment, this authenticity, which, which is why I wanted you on this program, that, that it runs through you like a stick of Brighton Rock, you know, the, the, the label that goes through. So you're, the ones I mistrust, that they're, they're one thing at work and another thing socially and another thing with their friends. But, but I, I find you very consistent. Is that fair? Um, well, it's nice to hear. <laughs> Thank you. Um, look, you know, I, I suppose I am what I am. You know, I, I'm not trying to be a, a different person uh, and have different guises in, in different environments. And yes, I mean, I, I think that value, value set is really important. And I've tried to, um, I've, I've tried to, I suppose, convey to my kids, you know, the same set of values that my parents gave to me. I remember from a very early age that my parents were involved with voluntary work around um, a residential care home for, oh, yeah. for, for, for elderly people and people, you know, suffering from senility and, and, and things like that. And I guess that had an impact on me. Sure, and, sure. and certainly from, from a young from a very young age, I was kind of volunteering, really? you know, for, for you know, charitable committee. Maybe there were, I'm sure there was an element of social you know, there's a social benefit from it as well. But, hmm. um, yeah, I think that, that that was a central thing yeah. for me. But, uh, yes, I've tried to um, impress upon my kids um, mm -hmm. the importance of good values and, and, and family life and uh, conducting oneself kind of well, properly. I, I think uh, you can be justly proud. And of, of the three, um, we got to know Lee and I got to know Holly who uh, we're fascinated. We'll just talk a little bit about what Holly's achieved in, in her time. Yeah, sure. I'm very proud of Holly. She, she was at a school called North London Collegiate, which is a, a kind of highly regarded, um, quite academic school, albeit she decided she didn't want to go to university, although she, she, she could have done so. She was very entrepreneurial. Um, and together with a partner, she started a business um, straight from school called Go Get Glitter, um, which is a... Uh, business that effectively sells cosmetic products. Um, initially, um, the catalyst being the, the the kind of craze around glitter, mm -hmm. yeah. um, and to a lot of uh, events, music festivals, corporate events, private events, 
uh, but their primary income stream is from online sales. I think they've got a following of, I'm not quite sure, I haven't looked at an Insta account recently, but I think kind of something approaching 350,000 followers. Um, and really they've done that all on their own. Wow. Uh, she's just turned 24. Um, and, you know, I think, it, yes, of course, I'm very proud and, and, and she's, she is a very hard worker and, and she's proving to be very entrepreneurial. Mm, yeah. And, you know, ultimately, I don't know where this business will end up, uh, but I'm sure it's a great life experience for her. Yeah, but no, I'm equally really. proud of my two other children. That's I know you are, and that's dad. that's the thing that struck me. And I would say that you know, um, like everything, you know, in the same way that partners and business complement each other, um, you know, my wife and I, I'm sure all, all the kids' good values um, and be better better um, assets are, are the ones going from my wife. <laughs> and um, and and I saw that in in meeting your wife that she she's sort of the calm and the and also she she has you can tell that things are organized and, and planned out um it was clear when we chatted before just as before we finished this session um i, I wanted to end talking about health and well-being uh, and then with your leave, leave us uh, or with the final tip that you might want to do about leadership but how important to you and your family and, and those you know is health and well-being and what have you done to keep healthy as you, I mean, I'm about to be 58. How old are you now? I'm 58. Okay, yeah. so we're both similar age, but you, you certainly don't look 58, you look much younger. Whereas many people oh, I meet, <laughs> many I meet look like they're about in their late 70s because they've just lived uh, a hell-raising life and, um, and it's burnt them out. But what, what have you done to keep health healthy? Um, well, I've always liked sport. I used to play football, but kept getting injured, so I had to stop doing that. Um, I then started running and did a few marathons, which I enjoyed very much, but unfortunately I then had a couple of knee operations. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in recent years, I've really, cycling has been my passion. And that's kind of reverting back to what I was saying is, you know, you get a lot, I mean, although a lot of the rides I've done have been charity rides, similarly, had I not done those rides and those challenges, I'm sure I wouldn't be as healthy as I am, mm. as conscious of keeping healthy and fit. Um, so, you, you know, I've got a lot back, lot back from that and, yeah. and, and on multiple levels. And the final tip that you'll uh, leave everybody with, you know, a leadership tip about being an entrepreneur, you know, keeping going, resilience. And, and what any top you want? Um, I think hard work um, is an underrated ethic. Um, but I think also recognising um, that you can't achieve good things without other kind of good, great people around you. Yeah. So, you know, if you have a company, uh, to recognise the value of the team um, and to make sure that, you know, that, that, that they're shown appropriate appreciation. Brilliant. I'd like to think that, you know, our team wouldn't have stayed as long as, as they have unless, you know, they were happy, ultimately. Great. You know, we will have our moments, but... Yeah, that's perfect. Well, look, Mark, thank you. It's thank been you fantastic much. spending the time with you and I'm sure others will enjoy listening to your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. 
And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.